Hello, Degrassi fans, and welcome to Season 5 of the Degrassi Kid Podcast, where each week we break down the history and impact of our favorite teen TV show. I'm Jocelyn, and this week we're going to be looking into those big Degrassi moments that almost never happened at all. If you're a fan of the show, then you're probably familiar with a few controversial stories that took place behind the scenes. For example, Degrassi's notorious for their abortion episode with Manny Santos. It was originally banned in the United States in 2003 and faced a lot of criticism for portraying such a heavy topic amongst teenage kids. One broadcaster even said that they didn't like how Manny smiled in the episode because it almost looks like she was happy to have an abortion. To which Linda Schuyler replied, she is. <laughs> but that's not the only time Degrassi faced criticism for its bold storytelling. In 1990, a pastor named Gene Hall wrote a letter to Linda Schuyler saying Degrassi was immoral and brainwashing youth because of an interracial relationship between BLT and Michelle. In 2010, a Christian fundamentalist group boycotted Degrassi for introducing their first trans character named Adam Torres. Stephen Stone responded to this by saying, this only proves we're doing the right thing and we need to do even more. In all of these instances, Degrassi responded to the controversy by increasing the amount of episodes they did on these topics. In Degrassi High, BLT and Michelle got even more kissing scenes, and Adam actually started dating a Christian character from Florida in direct response to the protesters. Overall, Degrassi has always held a mandate that if kids are talking about it in the schoolyard, then they can talk about it on Degrassi. So why are there some moments that they almost never tackled at all? What are the storylines where Linda Schuyler stepped in and said, I don't know if we should do that one? Today on the Degrassi Kid Podcast, we're breaking down the most controversial moments on Degrassi that almost never happened at all. discuss controversial topics with teenagers without introducing it to them? This is the question Linda Schuyler asked herself before she ever tackled an episode about suicide, self-harm, or gun violence. Of course, I want to take a moment to say that we'll be diving into each of these topics throughout the episode, and I understand that for some of you, that may just be too much. If this is the point where you have to stop listening to keep yourself safe, then I'm proud of you for knowing your limits, and I'll see you in the next episode. But for now, let's try to answer this question. How do you discuss controversial topics like suicide, self-harm, or gun violence without teaching someone how to do it? For example, you may watch a movie about a school shooting. That movie might take you through the event and how the shooting was meticulously planned and executed. It might show you their planning documents. It may bring you into discussions where they talk about which guns they're going to use. And it will likely take you inside the mind of the school shooter to understand how they got to such a low point. That insight may even make you feel sympathetic towards them and all the bullying they likely faced at school. Some people will leave that movie with a pit in their stomach, wondering how someone could ever do something like that. Others could leave that movie with a roadmap for how to perfectly execute and plan a school shooting. Degrassi understood the nuance in this. They understood that if they were going to do a school shooting episode, they would have to take one of their fully formed students and show us how they got to a point where they thought the only way to get out of their problems was to bring a gun to school, was to take their own life, or 
was to hurt themselves. And then they had to show us that that wasn't true. Degrassi had to put us inside the mind of someone like Rick Murray and tell us that just because you're being bullied and thrown in dumpsters, ignored by your teachers, left to defend yourself, getting picked on every single day, doesn't mean that you should bring a gun to school. This is why the topic of suicide, self-harm, and gun violence only happened a handful of times in Degrassi's history. Degrassi knew if they were going to do these topics, they had to do them right. In each of these moments, they talked to psychologists, mental health experts, and even went as far as airing public service announcements before, after, and during their episodes. Degrassi understood the weight of their own storytelling and how introducing these topics to teenagers could lead to something called the copycat effect. The copycat effect is when sensational publicity around things like murder or suicide can result in even more violence because of people wanting to imitate that person, or, or they may even want the same notoriety and attention that that person is getting. Degrassi knew all of this and didn't want to take the risk of their audience copying their Degrassi characters who hurt themselves or other people. So how come in 1991, Degrassi decided to bite the bullet and portray teen suicide on television? Why was now the time to do it? How did the audience react? And why did it take another 20 years before they tackle suicide again with Cam Saunders? Let's take a peek at Degrassi High's episode Showtime and the Next Generation's Bittersweet Symphony to learn a little bit more about how Degrassi covers suicide. The year is 1991, and after 12 years of being on television, Degrassi only has four episodes left before their newest series, Degrassi High, is done for good. And still, they haven't covered the topic of suicide. In an interview conducted years before, Linda Schuyler was actually quoted as saying, we would never do a suicide episode because of the dangers of copycat syndrome. But now Degrassi's grown up and they've transitioned into high school. The kids were facing more mature topics like HIV, AIDS, abortion, sexuality, and now it just felt like the right time to talk about suicide. Linda emphasized her original point of view by saying it took us several years to get to this point because we were terrified of mishandling the issue in any way that encouraged imitators. At this point, they were nearing the end of the series, and in Degrassi's eyes, it was now or never. So it was pretty clear. Degrassi was going to cover the topic of suicide, but they were going to do it right. The Degrassi team began by reaching out to professionals. They talked to mental health counselors and specialists to make sure they understood why someone may be likely to commit suicide and how they may be likely to do it. In the 1990s, the most common suicides in Canada happened by men who used handguns to take their own lives. Degrassi also made a choice that would shape this episode and Cam's storyline 20 years from now. Degrassi wasn't going to focus on the student who took their own life. They were going to focus on how suicide affects everyone else who was left behind and their anger, Linda said. We can see pretty clearly in both Claude and Cam's storyline that the focus is on everyone else at Degrassi. One of the things that I find most thrilling about following Linda Schuyler's career is that even though the world is constantly changing, her values around Degrassi have always stayed the same. And I think that's most reflective in these suicide episodes that happen with 20 years between them. Linda was always adamant that she didn't want to glamorize suicide. But first, I think we should clarify, what does glamorization even mean? Essentially, the idea of glamorizing something is to take something bad and dress it up to make it appear more beautiful. We can see examples of this as far back as Romeo and Juliet, where the two main characters commit suicide so they can be truly together forever. Or the story of Sid and Nancy from the Sex Pistols, which takes a tragic love story that ends in murder and makes it seem like hashtag end goals. 
or basically any piece of media that covers Kurt Cobain's suicide and makes it seem tragically beautiful. Those are the ways that the media can glamorize suicide and make people want to replicate it for themselves. But Degrassi didn't want to do that. David Armin Parcells, who played Claude on Degrassi, said, I think the show portrays suicide as harsh and keeps away from romanticizing death. The Vancouver Sun said that the episode was unflinchingly unsympathetic to the act of suicide. One reviewer did point out that even though some TV shows don't aim to glamorize suicide, just the fact that these stories are neatly packaged into a glossy TV show or movie can sometimes make death just look more attractive than it is in real life. But they went on to specifically note that even Degrassi didn't do that, and that Claude Tanner is not painted as your typical suicide victim, but instead the perpetrator of a painful act that causes even more pain, said Linda Schuyler. But one thing that's interesting to think about is the difference between Showtime, Degrassi High's episode, which covers suicide, and Bittersweet Symphony, which covers Cam's suicide in The Next Generation. With almost 20 years between them, Showtime almost acts as this time capsule for how mental health was discussed in the 1990s, especially if you're aware of all the planning that went into Cam's storyline 20 years later. The stark difference shows you just how much we've progressed at discussing the topic of mental health and suicide in young kids. So let's look at the differences between Degrassi's two suicide episodes. What did they do in Degrassi High that they purposefully left out of The Next Generation? And what are the real-world effects of getting suicide? wrong. Hi, I'm Pat Mastriani. I play Joey on Degrassi High. And I'm Stacy Mystician. I play Caitlin. The following episode of Degrassi High is a dramatic story about suicide. Right away, Degrassi High lets you know that this is an episode about suicide. This public service announcement plays before the episode begins, and at the very end they play another service announcement which confirms that the actor didn't really take his own life. In some states, like Vermont, they even aired this episode alongside phone-ins with therapists and youth counselors to start a discussion and support group around teen suicide. And Degrassi typically goes above and beyond when it comes to starting conversations with their audience. Immediately after Camp Suicide aired on Much Music, they had a sit-down session with the fans. They invited Aislinn Paul, Demetrius Joyette, Stefan Brogren, Dylan Everett, and Olivia Scriven, who all appeared in the episode, to come talk about suicide with teenagers. They had a representative from the kids' help phone, they had people tweeting in about their experiences, and they had real-life teenagers in the audience who stood up and shared their stories with suicide, whether it was their own personal thoughts of suicide or they knew someone who took their own life. It gave a lot of insight into how the show was made with deep care and attention, and also reassured us that Dylan didn't take his own life either. I really admired how much insight we got from this, and it really focused a lot on why certain characters like Maya reacted with anger. This is what Olivia Scriven had to say. It was tough. I mean, I've never known anyone personally to take their life because of this, but I have known people who've dealt with this, and I've talked to, I talked to a lot of people to figure out how to play that. And a lot of people were sad, but a number of people I talked to, the first feeling they felt when they found out someone had done that to themselves is they were angry. If you want to deep dive into Degrassi's history with public service announcements, visit patreon.com slash DegrassiKid for an exclusive bonus episode. Linda Schuyler and the Degrassi team have always been very open about how they prepared for Cam's suicide. Right away, they knew that Dylan Everett was the perfect actor for the role. He was so good, in fact, that they almost considered scrapping his suicide plotline just to have him on the show a little bit longer. But this was the right time, and Dylan was the right actor. 
When they introduced Cam, we had no idea that Degrassi was building up into a suicide storyline. Even when it happens, it felt like it comes out of nowhere. It's not until you watch the season back for a second time that you realize Cam talked about wanting to die, how he was a burden, how he felt trapped and anxious and was full of rage. He withdrew from his friends, he acted dangerously, and he had these extreme mood swings that just seemed to come out of nowhere. It's not until it's way too late that as an audience, we realize the signs of suicide were right there all along. I think this might be a good time to play a public service announcement for Kids Help Phone. Here's the actors who play Cam, Maya, Dallas, and Allie talking about the effects of suicide. Hey, we're from Degrassi on Much. Both on the show and in real life, we know problems can often seem too big to face. But you can't give up. Here in Canada, too many young people lose hope and take their own lives. For every suicide we hear about, there are many attempts that we don't. But it's important to remember that you are not alone. Anytime, night or day, you can reach out to Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868. Remember, where there's help, there's hope. For more information, go to kidshelpphone.ca. In both Degrassi High and The Next Generation, Linda Schuyler went in with a clear understanding of the copycat effect and wanted to make sure Degrassi did not glamorize suicide. Degrassi High did this by making sure that Claude wasn't painted as a victim in any way. The Next Generation was a bit more sympathetic to Cam's suicide, but they made three active choices to ensure they could reduce the copycat effect on their young, impressionable audience. Number one, Cam's body would never be shown on screen. Two, they would never reveal or even hint at how Cam took his own life. And three, Cam would never reappear in the series. The moment that Cam took his own life, he was truly gone forever. When you know that Degrassi made these conscious decisions, it's pretty wild to go back and watch Claude's episode in the 90s. And again, I think it just goes to show you how much of a time capsule this moment is, especially for the conversation around mental health in the media in 1991. In Claude's episode, we see him have an emotional outburst. He then walks to his locker, pulls out a gun, and goes off to the boys' bathroom with the clear intention of killing himself. While the other students are in class, we hear a gunshot go off in the background, but no one seems to notice it. Today, we might look at that as giving someone an idea of how to kill themselves at school. But then the episode goes on. Snake walks into the boys' bathroom and finds Claude's body lying on the floor. In Cam's episode, Eli does find Cam's body, but we as the audience never see it. And we get no indication of how he could have killed himself or what he could have looked like in that state. In Degrassi High, Snake finds a lifeless body covered in blood and a handgun lays on the floor beside him. We as the audience see a bit of it, but then later, Snake goes on into even more detail and describes what he saw. You know what I don't really remember? All that blood. He was just lying there. Half his face was... wasn't. It was so ugly, I... I, I, I thought a body would be more like a person, but he was... He's just dead. And I get really mad sometimes. He knew someone had to find him. I didn't even know him, and look how he's got to me. Why did you do this to me? I didn't even do anything to him. While it's a good idea to talk about these things in real life, especially with professional counselors and those who can help you, when you consider the copycat effect, airing things like this on television just isn't a good idea. And that's not all. Claude seems to live on throughout the episode. He writes a letter to Caitlin, which she receives after his death. He reappears in her dreams, and she has flashbacks about him at school. 
Even though this all may be perfectly normal to experience when you're grieving someone, it is now known that showing these moments on television may play into the copycat effect. When you see someone commit suicide and they get to live on, you may think the same will be true if you commit suicide. By bringing the actor back to film brand new scenes, it almost suggests to a young and impressionable audience that he is still part of these moments and he can see the effects of a suicide, which just is not true. It's also interesting that 20 years later, Snake is now the principal at Degrassi. And when Eli finds Cam's body, he's the one who helps him through it. Here's a scene between Eli and Mr. Simpson while his dad is there for support. You know, we have a lot more in common than you think. When I was about your age, I found the body of a classmate who committed suicide. It doesn't get better overnight. It's been hard for me, but I'm okay. Yeah, I know. I've been keeping an eye on you. So what went wrong today? There's all this pressure to talk, to act a certain way. You gotta talk about it, bud. To my therapist, yeah, but not to everyone, 24 hours a day. I need to move on. I didn't know him. I didn't choose to walk into that damn greenhouse. Eli, when things like this happen, it affects everyone. You can't let others get to you. Of course, you can't really prove that film and media will convince someone to commit suicide. It's likely that those people were probably likely to do it anyway. And this was just the final trigger for them. But I feel like if you know your piece of media could trigger someone who is suicidal to actually commit suicide, you should probably do your due diligence in making it safer. And that was just not the case for 2017's Netflix series called 13 Reasons Why. When Linda Schuyler heard about 13 Reasons Why and its portrayal of teen suicide, sexual assault, and gun violence, she literally said, I find that rather disturbing. Linda made it clear that she's never seen the show, but she's heard a few things. First, the show follows the suicide of a teen girl named Hannah Baker. The title 13 Reasons Why references the 13 reasons why she killed herself. And each episode follows why someone else is responsible for Hannah taking her own life. Despite being dead, she's actively one of the main characters in the series and still exists even after taking her own life. On top of that, the season two finale depicts an incredibly graphic sexual assault scene and follows a student who brings a gun to school. Neither one are done with the same grace and consideration that Degrassi puts into their storytelling. And neither consider the copycat effect. Probably the most controversial moment was a now-deleted scene which shows Hannah Baker planning, preparing for, and committing the act of suicide. We literally sit inside the bathtub with her as she cuts her wrist, slowly dies, and her lifeless body is then found by her crying mother. It's an insanely graphic scene, and while the show has since been re-edited and now appears with trigger warnings, these didn't exist in its initial broadcast on Netflix kids were just watching this happen. It was even reported that teen suicide increased by almost 30% after this series aired. And things like how to kill yourself and ways to die were being searched by teenagers now more than ever. But the show 13 Reasons Why didn't care to take any responsibility for this and instead said, this is just what happens. A conversation is happening and that's what we wanted. An executive producer's official response was, I would suggest they just Google the news. This is what happens. Keep in mind, this was in response to mental health professionals and school board executives asking for the show to be removed or re-edited to keep teenagers from killing themselves. 
The Canadian Centre of Threat, Assessment and Trauma issued a letter to schools across Canada when season two premiered, saying, be mindful of using this as an educational resource as it may contribute as an additional risk enhancer to those who are vulnerable, have history of trauma, or are currently struggling with suicidal ideation. School boards across Canada noted that they felt the very real effects of 13 Reasons Why in their classrooms. And with season two on the way, they felt like it could get even worse. John Olafson, a student service consultant in Winnipeg, said there's sexual assault. There's conversations around bullying, substance abuse, violence and suicidal ideation. If you're not mindful of how you're talking about those things, they can be really triggering, especially for vulnerable youth who maybe experienced that or have someone in their life who has experienced that. That's a responsibility that Degrassi understood decades before 13 Reasons Why even came out at all. In response to Hannah Baker being a main character in the series, even after her death, Linda Schuyler said, I found that to be a very troubling concept because it's almost like saying, hey, you know what? If you take your own life, you can still kind of check in on what's happening with all your buddies and your peers at school. Stephen Stone explicitly said that suicide was the most difficult topic for them to cover. It took us years to get it right, he said. How do you do it in the right way with the right character? Can you do it in a way that doesn't glamorize suicide, that actually says this is not a good idea? Can you do it without being preachy? It's very difficult to get into an actual story, he said. And in my opinion, that's something 13 Reasons Why just didn't care about at all. However, Linda Schuyler and Stephen Stone do say that it's important not to shy away from the tough issues just because it may offend people. Young people in particular want to hear about these tough subjects because if we don't talk openly about them, they're going to find other ways, Linda said. But you have to make sure that all the choices you make in your storytelling are responsible ones. Someone from Degrassi actually spoke out against 13 Reasons Why when the series first aired. In 2013, Degrassi's Aislinn Paul, or Claire Edwards, tweeted this. I can't get it out of my mind, so I have to say... I think 13 Reasons Why discusses teen suicide and depression in an unhelpful and unhealthy way. If you're struggling and this show's helped you somehow, that's great, and I would never want to take that away from you. But if it made you feel worse, misunderstood, isolated, or triggered in any way, please reach out for help. She then tagged the kids' help phone and provided their phone number. Kids' help phone themselves even came out against 13 Reasons Why. Alyssa Simon, one of the executives, said that Netflix just wasn't doing enough. We believe that if you're going to have graphic content, you need to make it really simple for young people to know where to reach out for help. And this is reflected as far back as 1991, when Degrassi ran this public service announcement with David Armin Parcells, the actor who played Claude Tanner on Degrassi. Hi, I'm David Armin. Sometimes life can deal you more downs than ups, and there's nobody to talk to. But the kids' help phone is there. Call 1-800-668-6868. You'll be headed in the right direction. So we've accomplished a few things together now. We've created an understanding that when Degrassi talks about things like suicide, they take it very seriously. They research it with professionals. They talk about it with their cast and they wait for the right character at the right moment before they tackle these real world issues. But that doesn't mean that Degrassi's never been called out for the copycat effect. In fact, one school publicly came out against Degrassi and said that it actually taught their students how to cut themselves. It was 2003, and St. Paul Elementary School in Quebec had just broken for lunch. Together, about seven students made their way to a friend's house for their lunch break. That's when they tuned in to an episode of Degrassi The Next Generation. In this episode, titled Whisper to a Scream, Ellie Nash is seen intentionally cutting her arms with a sharp compass that she found in her math kit. 
It appears that the kids then cut themselves too and went to school where they showed it to other students and told them about the show. The next day, three more students intentionally cut themselves and all of the students used a compass from their math kit. When a teacher saw this, she immediately informed the principal, called the kids' parents, and the school held an assembly to talk about the dangers of cutting, self-harm, and mutilation. They had no more copycats in their school after that. The school board president, Jocelyn Blondin, said he planned to send letters to other school districts to warn them about Degrassi. He also stated he wanted to lobby the Quebec government to put more pressure on television stations demanding that they be more careful about what kind of programming is accessible to kids. The Quebec broadcaster actually came out and defended Degrassi, saying, I can say I was very, very surprised by this. He noted that in the episode, Ellie does mutilate herself, but then a friend, Paige, convinces her to seek out help at the end of the episode. The problem is resolved, and the lesson is don't mutilate yourself. Talk to someone about it, he said. Though he did go on to note that if a child does have a problem in a more fragile moment of their lives, that they could be more affected by the show and more likely to replicate it. When it comes to self-harm, this topic actually appears a few more times throughout the series. Darcy cuts herself in the shower, Cam jumps off a balcony with the intention of hurting himself, and Adam Torres intentionally inflicts himself with burn marks on his wrists. The idea of self-harm appears multiple times in the series, and I was curious. Did these moments actually teach kids how to hurt themselves? Today, we're sitting down with Evie Pacini, the host of the Degrassi Schools In podcast, to learn a little bit more about how self-harm on Degrassi impacted her life and the way she learned about the topic. Evie, can you tell us a little bit about your experience when it comes to Degrassi and self-harm? Honestly, from my memory, I want to say that Whisper to a Scream was the first time that self-harm had really been introduced to me as a child. I watched the show so young, and that's kind of like the first memory that I have of the concept of self-harm being a thing. That episode didn't really trigger anything in me in the same way that the later episode did. I do feel like it introduced me to the concept of self-harming and kind of releasing emotional pain through physical means. But to be honest, I don't, I have a, I have a fear of blood. I have a fear of like, vein. I, it's a whole thing. So cutting has never been something that appealed to me or seemed like an option in terms mm -hmm. of self-harm. When I saw the episode, My Body is a Cage with Adam and watched him take a lighter and a hair clip and burn himself that was something that i was like oh i could see myself doing that like i could see how that would like work for me and i admittedly did try that like pretty immediately after and that was a self-harm technique that continued for years after that like i regularly would basically do exactly what adam did and i would think about the scene pretty much every time i did that also and so degrassi weird, weird is way. the show Degrassi is the show that introduced you to self-harm. Yes. I, I think it's interesting because, so I already knew what self-harm was by the time I got to my favorite episode, which is A Whisper to a Scream, where Ellie cuts herself. That was actually my original favorite episode because I related to it so much. But I think the thing is, Degrassi did teach me the lesson that you are not alone in that. But I think it almost normalized it for me, right? Like, I, I was like, okay, here's my favorite character doing something that I do. It made it seem commonplace, but... I think with the ending of that episode, because Paige is the one who really rescues Ellie in the end and, and goes to talk to an adult, it kind of made me feel like I needed to be rescued. Like I was waiting for someone to notice. Like I even remember sometimes wearing like my sleeves up, hoping someone might notice. It kind of implied to me that the message might be like someone else has to help you. And yeah. maybe that that episode was mainly targeted towards how do you help someone else who's going through this? I agree. I had the same behaviors of like having my sleeve up or something and kind of wanting somebody to see it 
yeah. and wanting somebody to acknowledge it. Go Did ahead. you think that was reflected in Adam's storyline in any way? In a way, yeah, because it still is Claire witnessing that and being like, hey, you shouldn't do that. And kind of seeing Adam's self-harm through Claire's eyes rather than just through Adam's eyes. And the thing is, I don't know what the correct way to do this would have been. I totally agree. And, and and one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, the whole point of this is that we're talking about Degrassi and the copycat effect and how Degrassi put a lot of intention into reducing the copycat effect. But we are two people who were the victims of it. We learned about self-harm or were encouraged to self-harm because of Degrassi. What are what are your thoughts when it comes to self-harm and Degrassi and, and the way it considers the copycat effect on its audience? I don't blame Degrassi, for example. Like, yes, there was a roadmap basically given to me. I can't think of a better way. It's such a nuanced issue and it's such a complicated issue. I don't fault Degrassi. I think they took a lot of precautions in representing it. And I think it's just, it's a necessary issue that needs to be talked about. It's something that so many people deal with. I don't hold any blame towards Degrassi. And I do think it was very clear that they put a lot of effort into considering the copycat and effect of like, okay, we we could introduce this to kids, but if we do talk about it, we could help a lot of kids too and, and maybe reduce the effect of it. I really praise Degrassi for tackling this and putting it on TV because it, it did make me feel a lot better about what I was going through and the way that I was handling it. Now, my little brain interpreted it as that as, okay, it's okay to cut yourself, but that's yeah. not the lesson that Degrassi's selling you in this episode like teenagers just want to feel accepted and understood and validated and it's a very yeah it's a very slippery slope and making them feel validated in those not so good impulses and those not so good coping mechanisms and stuff like that i think if i could have made one addition to this episode is is again i do really feel like it's kind of an episode for the bystander almost but i think what would have made me feel better is if they took us inside the guidance counselor and showed us what that conversation is like i think that would have made it a lot more of an easier process for me because I, that's what i was scared of i'd never been in a guidance counselor's office before i didn't know the kind of questions they're going to ask you were they going to be invasive i was also harming myself because i was closeted and I was queer and I didn't know that at the time. And I had a lot of these like confusing feelings. Things felt really intense. And even when it came to things like self-harm, I think sometimes there's this conversation around, oh, they're only doing that for attention. And we've acted as a society like doing things for attention is bad when it's like, That's... yeah, they are doing it for attention. They pay they attention. Need, they yeah. need help. <laughs> they need like, it's help. Not, it's not normal to be seeking attention like that. Like it's exactly. not healthy. It's unhealthy behavior that should be like given attention and care, yeah. not, oh, they're just doing it for attention. Yeah, then pay attention to them. Give like, them attention. Exactly. I, and I, think, I think in my experience, there's a lot of anger met with that of people just being frustrated with me of like, well, why are you doing this? And it's like, well, yelling at me isn't going to isn't gonna do anything. And I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm confused. I'm scared. I'm alone. I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, I do think it would have been really good to see the inside of somebody getting help for something like this because I was definitely afraid to get I never got help for it I was suffering so long in silence because I didn't know what getting help would entail and what it would be like and what kind of questions they would ask or what like judgment yeah. I would receive so especially with the conversation around oh well they're just doing it for attention it's like I'm not even talking about it and you're already making me feel horrible about this imagine if I actually told you how I really felt about something I do have a question for you yeah do you feel like it would have been better if they hadn't shown so much like for example Adam literally physically if they had just shown like the scars rather than the actual action I think maybe 
that is it because I know Degrassi wants to be real and show things that are real but I, I think that just by showing maybe the after effects of it and less so the methodology behind yeah. whether it's heating up your clip or whether it's going to your bag and getting a compass I think that is giving a kids a roadmap of that if you want to quietly cut yourself alone in your room this is how you can do it if you want to hurt yourself away from your friends this is how you can yeah. do it because I would not have known how to like burn myself with something if I'm trying to think of a way to like intentionally burn yourself I can't like I really can't but like getting a little hair clip in a lighter like that's so accessible and that's definitely and even like the compass that's a school supply like I do think that is if I can make any like criticism or it's not even a criticism like an adjustment that I think could have made the representation possibly less harmful it would be not showing the action I agree I totally agree. Just the outcome, the effects on everyone else, and how you talk about it to get help. Yeah. And that would maybe lose some impact, but I think there are ways to be creative about it and make it still impactful. I agree. I think it might change the telling the story in a realistic way, but it also it really considers the copycat effect and reduces kids actually getting hurt from it. Thank you so much to Evie Pacini for sharing her story with us. And next, we're going to look at the way gun violence is handled on Degrassi. Just like self-harm or suicide, when it comes to gun violence, Degrassi understood the responsibility that they had over their young audience. Stephen Stone said, when crafting the story, we were very concerned about a copycat situation. But we pursued the story to show how access to guns, coupled with the environment of bullying, can be a pressure cooker for some of these kids to explode. Up until now, we've talked a lot about how a television series can make an impact on real life. But what about those real-world scenarios that inspire moments on TV? Earlier, we talked about the difficulty in portraying school shootings because you don't want to provide kids with a roadmap. But you still want to show a very real and honest portrayal of how a school shooting can happen and its negative consequences. A big inspiration for Degrassi's episode called Time Stand Still, which follows Rick Murray as he brings a gun to school, was heavily inspired by the real-life shooting at Columbine High School in 1999. They actually brought in Barbara Colorosso, who was an expert on bullying, and even wrote a book called The Bully, The Bullied, and The Bystander based on the effects at Columbine. She was part of the crisis management team who went into the school immediately after the shooting happened. Stefan Skaney, not to be confused with Stefan Brogren, was the director of this episode. Stefan said, Barbara was helping me and the writers find the truth and what's really going on, as opposed to the Hollywood version of it. We wanted to tell the real story. We wanted to get into the truth of it and what was really going on in Rick's head. The episode's writer, Brendan York, said it was a complicated balancing act. We wanted to show how someone could be bullied to the point of desperation, but we also wanted to show how retaliation with violence is not acceptable. Basically, two wrongs only add up to a much bigger wrong. Ephraim Ellis, who played Rick, said it was such sensitive material. Columbine was still pretty fresh in people's memories. One moment that stands out to the team is when Barbara reached out to Degrassi after the show aired to say that they nailed it. She said, we nailed the interpersonal dynamics of such a tragic event. It felt like we did something right, Stefan said. Linda also talked about how important it was to talk to real teenagers who were impacted by school shootings and ensuring the young actors also felt comfortable enough to take it on. She said, hopefully as storytellers, we're being respectful enough to tell all sides of the story. Stefan said that one of the ways he tried to honor the storytelling in this episode was by not rehearsing the cast too much beforehand. I made the choice to rehearse everyone individually, he said. I gave them their notes and let them think about it. Then I brought them on set together and literally said, roll cameras. 
And I personally think that that was an amazing choice. The raw energy between Sean, Emma, and Toby when they're in that hallway with Rick and the gun, it feels so real. And now I understand why. But Stefan still didn't feel good about the episode he was making. After the fact, he said, I actually had sleepless nights during and after the making of this episode because it really affected me on a strange level. I had to ask these young actors to reach into their psyche and go into this terribly dark place. Doing that to these people, these people who are also my friends, was really hard for me. I think that that level of care and concern actually goes to show you how every member of the Degrassi team prioritized the safety of everyone involved. The director was literally having nightmares worrying himself if he kept those young actors safe enough. In the end, Stefan Skaney went on to win an award for Outstanding Team Achievement in a Television Series at the 2005 Director Guild Award of Canada. Stefan said, The subject matter to me was far more important than any of the accolades. I'm a father of four, and two of my kids have experienced bullying, so this subject was close to my heart. Degrassi tackled the topic of gun violence a few times throughout its series, but its most notable example has to be when Hunter brings a gun to school in season one of Degrassi Next Class, 12 years after Rick's episode. But Sarah Glinsky, who was an executive producer and writer at the time, said they always knew that Hunter wasn't actually going to hurt anyone. We had talked about the finale episode, she said, and Hunter bringing a gun to school. I think we always knew that we didn't want him to actually do it. We wanted to talk about what people like Hunter needed from the people around them, from their friends and family, so they're not alone. That there's an opportunity to talk them back. So that was always the plan, she said. This personally makes me reflect a little bit more on Ellie's self-harm storyline and Cam's suicide, and how sometimes the story really is made for the bystander and what people can do to help. Because the way they prepared for Hunter's gun storyline was very similar to the way they prepared for the suicide episodes. They really focused on how it affected everyone else. Sarah Glinsky said that this is partially because the political landscape around gun violence changed a lot between Rick's episodes and Hunter's episodes. In 2004, it was a shock for a student to bring a gun to school, and in 2014, it wasn't. She said, back then, I don't think anyone would have ever expected Rick to bring a gun to school. Now you can watch kids on Twitter and they're like, OMG, I think Hunter's going to bring a gun. Linda Schuyler noted that it's not necessarily Degrassi's job to get political, more so that the mandate of our show is to sort of take what's happening in the political environment and make it personal. We wouldn't address gun control per se, but we might look from a particular character's point of view at how damaging the misuse of guns can be or how damaging it can be when bullying results in death at an early age. What's interesting is that after season four of Next Class, a very real and tragic event occurred in real life called the Parkland shooting. And even though it happened in America, Linda and Steven had taken notice to the way the survivors reacted to their tragedy. They all came together to form a support group for fellow students, and they did days after days of interviews with the media with the sole purpose of advocating for gun control in America. Linda and Steven were so moved by this that they actually confirmed that it was highly likely to influence a season five storyline in Degrassi Next Class, which ultimately became a season that never came. Linda said, It's something that's happening with greater frequency and it's happening to teenagers. Our attitude has always been whatever is happening to young people, we should be talking about it on Degrassi. And even in this article, Linda reiterated again that the biggest thing someone's concerned about when doing a story about a school shooting is copycat syndrome. As producers, you don't take on these topics without getting feedback from experts who work in the field, she said. 
And that is how we almost got another gun violence episode in the now canceled season of Degrassi Next Class. And I'm curious, how do you think Degrassi would have covered it? Let's continue this discussion over in the Degrassi Kid Discord, linked in the description. So we've reached the end, and one thing has been made perfectly clear. Even though the climate around teen issues may be constantly changing, Linda's attitude about them has stayed the same for over 40 years. Even back in the early days of the kids of Degrassi Street, the show was literally being built off the foundation that we take kids' issues seriously. We don't trivialize them and we don't have these adults sweep in to come and save the day. What we do is portray honest, authentic, and non-judgmental storytelling in a way that helps kids deal with their issues. One thing that constantly amazes me is that whether the show was on the verge of being canceled or at the peak of its popularity, Linda's perspective on Degrassi never changed. It's never been about getting more people to watch the show. And trust me, with sensationalized and dramatic storytelling, Degrassi could have pulled in crazy numbers that made them a lot of money, but it was never about that. It was always about just being there for your audience when they needed you. In one interview, Linda Schuyler said, I like to see myself as the guardian of the core principles and values of Degrassi. And I think that this deep dive has made that more clear than ever. Whether you're telling stories about teenagers or not, you should always be mindful of how your audience may be affected by what you're putting on their TV screens. Degrassi made it clear from the beginning that they wanted to be a show that provided a safe space to its young audience. A show that teaches you, you are not alone. Degrassi tackled subjects like suicide, self-harm, and gun violence with pride. They put the work in to understand the weight of their own storytelling. They recognized that sometimes you needed to tell stories to the bystander who can step in and help, and they made sure not to glamorize real-life issues that you may be dealing with at home. Degrassi teaches us how good people can do bad things. People that we love can hurt themselves. People that we love can take their own lives. And people that we love can bring a gun to school and plan to kill other people. That's a very real thing, and Degrassi teaches you that there's no right or wrong way to handle it, that talking about it is good enough, and that reaching out for resources like the kids' help phone can make a big difference. In the end, I believe that Degrassi understood the serious effect of copycats on their young, impressionable audience. I believe that despite my own issues of learning a bit more about self-harm from Degrassi, that they still did everything they could to keep young people like me safe. And that they understood the responsibility that comes with introducing young people to topics like suicide. Degrassi prioritizes the well-being of its audience over its bottom line. And that's why I think it's beautiful that Degrassi's biggest moments almost never happened at all. Thank you so much to the Degrassi fans who made this deep dive possible. A huge shout out goes out to Stephanie P, Maddie McKay, and Brian, who are our newest members on the Degrassi Kid Patreon. Thank you so much for signing up and supporting my dreams. If you want to be like Stephanie, Maddie, and Brian, visit patreon.com slash DegrassiKid and find the tier that's best for you. I also have to say a huge shout out to our longtime supporters, Amber, Nicholas, and my best friend, Stevie Jarawa. And of course, Amy, Alana, Annie Clark, Becca, Brian, Brittany, Chantel, Chrissy, Daniela, Dave, Degrassi CSI, Evie, Ethan, Emily, Elizabeth, Eugene, Gina, Hannah, Isabel, Jasper, Jay, Jackie, Joe, Joey, Jolene, Kat, Courtney, Catherine, Kristen, Kennedy, Crystal, Kylea, Lizzie, Games, Mark, Megan, Mackenzie, MMB, Mina, Molly, Rachel, Rebecca, Randy, Racine, Shane, Sarah J, Shannon, Stephanie, Sierra, Sunita, and Nixon from the Degrassi Generations Facebook group. Thanks to you, we're able to connect with Degrassi fans all over the world and talk about those Degrassi moments that almost never happened at all. Thanks everybody. Bye.